I stared at my knees throughout the journey to the cemetery, which seemed to last forever. And the next thing I remember was the terrible sound of stifled male sobbing in the chapel, icy despite the electric bar heaters. Music chimed from the coloured glass dome high above us. There was a smell of cough sweets, must and decaying flowers. Although I could not look at it, I knew the coffin was lying on the catafalque in the middle of the aisle, covered in white lilies, carnations and roses, and I knew, although it was difficult to believe, that Luca was inside the coffin, on his own, shut away from the rest of us. I wondered if it was completely dark inside the coffin, or if there were slivers of light at the rim of the lid. I hoped his head was rested on a silk cushion. I hoped he was arranged comfortably. The prayers, the testimonials and affectionate anecdotes were delivered in halting voices, while I, afraid to listen, drifted off instead to the memory of last summer's holiday and Luca sleeping on a sunbed by the pool, his face turned towards mine, and how I put down my paperback for the pleasure of simply watching him breathe. It was a conventional service. I don't remember the prayers or the hymns, I wasn't concentrating, but they would have been beautiful. Angela, perfectly coiffed, hatted, veiled and turned out in a suit which looked like Chanel, would have seen to that. I sat next to Luca's eldest brother, Stefano. His thigh was warm against mine throughout the service. He shared his hymn book, although I couldn't read the words, and didn't make any attempt to sing. When it was over, Stefano squeezed past my knees to join the other brothers to lift the coffin and carry it up the hill to the grave. I walked on my own, behind the coffin, up the hill. My breath shrouded my face, but I kept my eyes on the ground. I can't recall any of the words the minister said at the graveside, but when the coffin came to be lowered... He gave me the gentlest word of encouragement to throw the rose I was holding into the hole. I had to look at it then, and that's when the grief came over me like a wave. I don't think I made a sound as I stood there in my high heels and my new coat and my silver earrings, but inside, every hope and wish and dream I'd ever nurtured tore itself up by the roots and miscarried into bloody little disasters inside me. Stefano's wife, Bridget, was holding their youngest daughter, Amelia, in her arms, but she must have seen the crisis in my face because she nudged Stefano, who came to me and put his arms around me, and I closed my eyes as he pulled me to him, holding my head as if it were something precious and fragile against his shoulder. I could feel the shudder of his sobs through the rough, masculine fabric of his coat. When it was over, the lesser mourners drifted away from the grave, back down the hillside, towards the area outside the chapel where the cars were parked. The sisters-in-law, the nephews and nieces and uncles and aunts, the long-standing family friends and employees of the business peeled off one by one, leaving the immediate family the four brothers, the parents and me, to pay our last respects. 
and for a while we stood there around the grave, casting long shadows in the late morning winter sunlight. Nobody said anything, but eventually Carlo wandered away on his own, and Stefano put his arm round Fabio's shoulders and turned him away from the grave, and Mark whispered in my ear, They deserve a moment to themselves. And I nodded, and allowed him to guide me away from the grave, leaving just Angela and Maurizio standing together, but slightly apart, like statues in the cemetery beside the grave of their prodigal son. We were halfway down the hill when Mark started to cry, loudly and fiercely like a child, and that set me off, and it seemed natural to take our gulping sobs and blinded eyes.